I hope and pray that you can listen to the words of that last hymn that we sang and you can make that statement with all faith and confidence in God. A confidence not because of your power or anything that you have done, but because you know you have a right relationship with your Creator through your faith and your obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to talk about a topic that is very important. And it's a topic that almost anybody in the world of religion would see the value in. And it's the idea of glorifying God. And I think it's easy for us to sit in an audience such as we have this evening and sing these beautiful songs and lift our voices together in praise to Him and say, God is glorified. And I think that's certainly true. That when His people gather together for the intent purpose to worship Him and to study His Word, God is glorified. But I believe glorifying God goes much deeper than just our worship assemblies in the Lord's church. If you would, turn with, with me to Revelation chapter 4. That's where we're going to begin our study this evening. Revelation chapter 4. Because as we read through Revelation chapter 4 in this throne scene that is revealed to John as he's on that island of Patmos, and Jesus is revealing to him things which must shortly come to pass there in the first century upon these seven churches of Asia, chapters 2 and 3 are filled with a lot of correction and admonition. And Jesus warns these seven congregations, or six of those seven, that they have some things that they need to correct or else Jesus would remove their candlestick and He would no longer identify them as a part of His people who have been called out of this world and into the light of Jesus Christ. That shows us the importance of the idea of repentance. That as we strive to serve God in these congregations that are pointed out here in chapters 2 and 3, we're far from perfect. And Jesus said, there are some things you need to fix. You need to not give in to false doctrines. You don't need to fall into idolatry and idol worship that's all around you. You need to seek me first above all things. And if you'll repent and do those first works, then you'll be restored and you'll continue in your relationship with God. And you can read chapters 2 and 3 and sometimes we can get very discouraged because guess what we realize about our congregations today? Our congregations are filled with imperfect people. But we have to strive to continue in faithful obedience to the will of God. And these congregations had to receive that stern reminder. And I can imagine John, as he's reading those words that were to be sent out to these seven churches in Asia, the discouragement that he might face in hearing those words from Jesus that Jesus was ready to remove candlesticks and no longer identify these people as his own. But you know, anytime there's correction, there's admonition, God also provides hope for those who would repent. And in chapter 4, we get a beautiful picture of the throne scene surrounding God as He is worshipped and glorified for eternity. As we read Revelation 4, is there any doubt in your mind that God is glorified tonight in heaven? There shouldn't be. And as we read the description tonight, I want you to think about the glory that surrounds God and how the intent, purpose, and the only thing that happens in heaven is continuous glorification and praise to our Creator. What a beautiful picture. And I hope and pray one day that you will be there joining 
in that great throne scene as God is glorified for eternity. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created." That's a beautiful scene, isn't it? That John was able to be witness of. That as he was in the Spirit, God revealed to him a message of hope. That yes, there are congregations with problems, and there are problems in the church, but look at the hope that we need to be focused on. Look at the praise and the glory that's going on in eternity with God around His throne, and that ought to be the goal of every congregation of the Lord's body to take part in that type of worship around the throne of God and glorify Him forever. But you know, as we think about our service to God on a day-in and day-out basis, one of the things you'll often hear is, I just want to glorify God in my life. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I have to take part in services like this constantly to be able to lift my voice in praise to God and glorify Him as we have this evening? I don't believe so. I believe the New Testament and throughout the Bible shows us that glorifying God is not just formal worship of God, but we glorify God in the everyday decisions that we make. As a husband, I believe you glorify God when you love your wife as Christ loved the church. As a wife, I believe you glorify God when you submit to Him as the church submits to Christ. I believe as parents, when we train our children up and then nurture in the admonition of the Lord, we glorify God because we are fulfilling His purpose and we are fulfilling the purpose in which we were created to fulfill. We're all a creation of God. And with that creation comes a responsibility. A responsibility to know everything we can know about Him, to study His Word, to be well-educated and versed in His Word so that then our life begins to change into the image of of our Savior and His Son, Jesus Christ. And all through that process, I believe we glorify our God. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, Jesus prays a prayer. 
And in this prayer, he prays for himself and the trial that he's about to endure, knowing that his death was imminent to be upon that cross and make the perfect sacrifice to redeem mankind. He prayed for his disciples who were there with him in that time that they would be faithful and that God would protect them and keep them safe. And then he prays for those that would believe on him through their word, which would include you and I. Did you know Jesus prayed for you? That's comforting, isn't it? But in this prayer, he prays at the beginning for God to glorify in John chapter 17 and verse 1, the Bible says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus made a statement that he had glorified God on the earth. How did Jesus glorify God on the earth? Well, he qualifies that statement by the very next statement, doesn't he? He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus even looked at his life and his ministry, and his mission, and said, Father, I've glorified you because I've done what you've told me to do. I have finished the work, and in that I have brought glory and honor to you. Again, in John chapter 12, we see the same idea taught as Jesus is teaching about what was going to happen to him. And ultimately, that he was going to make a sacrifice of, of himself for mankind. In verse 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus taught his disciples and those in the first century plainly about what God's plan was. And he told them time and time again that he had to glorify God by fulfilling God's purpose for him. He knew he was the only way for you and I to have our sins forgiven. He knew he was the only one who could be the perfect sacrifice that was powerful enough to take away the sins of the world, and through his obedience, he would glorify God. Notice there that he knew his purpose. And him fulfilling his purpose would bring glory to God. I want you to think, what happened in John chapter 11? Jesus had a friend named Lazarus. Jesus had received word that Lazarus was ill, and Jesus delayed his going to Lazarus. Until when? Until Lazarus was already dead. Now, as Jesus approaches to where Lazarus has been buried, and he sees his family mourning for him, Jesus wept with them. But you know, Jesus knew the power of God. And as Jesus 
told them to remove the door of that tomb. And he prayed to his father that his father would be glorified. And he told Lazarus to come forth from the grave. Guess what Jesus was doing? He was causing God to be glorified. And then when God's voice rings out here in John chapter 12, God says, what? He says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Was God glorified when Lazarus was raised from the dead? Yes, he was. But God also knew that with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he would also be glorified. And as Jesus talks to them about his death, God makes a proclamation that, you know what? I'm going to glorify my name again by the resurrection of my son and your Savior. You see, what these two passages show us is that obedience to the will of the Father brings about glorification of God. And how much of our relationship and the commandments that God has given to us are based upon the lives we live every single day. I know we focus sometimes on those commandments that we have as a body, as we collectively gather to worship God, and those commandments are important. But is the commandment to sing with all our hearts and all our minds and to lift praise up to God in the church, is that commandment any more important than the commandment that Jesus gives to me to love my neighbor as myself? Is the commandment for women to keep silence in the churches any more important than the commandment that God gives to me as a father to lead my home and to teach my children at home the things pertaining to God? You see, it's you and I that want to put distinctions upon the commandments of God and say some are more important than others, but Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He didn't say you would keep the ones that you want to or the ones that you deem the most important. And you and I, as we want to glorify God, we have to understand every command of God is important for us to understand, to have knowledge of, and to have the wisdom to apply and obey. Not so that we can heap praise upon ourselves, but that ultimately God is glorified. You see, when was it that Jesus finished the work that the Father had given him to do? John chapter 19 and verse 10 says, So when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. You know, Jesus completed the work that the Father had for him to do. And as he drew his last breath upon that cross, he laid his entire being into the hands of his Father. One of his final statements was, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. He had poured himself out. Every ounce of him that could be was poured out upon that cross. And it was by the power of God that he was raised from the dead. And that's the ultimate sign of God's glory. Is that our Savior did not stay in the tomb. And because he was resurrected from the dead, you and I can have a great hope tonight. That if we will seek to glorify God in our life and we will praise and worship him and we will serve him faithfully, one day our bodies will be raised and made glorious like unto his body. 
As we study the Scriptures, there are some other places where God is glorified. The first one that comes to mind is His creation. You know, everything that God makes glorifies Him when it fulfills the purpose for which it was designed. Psalm 148 and verse 3 says, Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, you heaven of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. This earth and every star that's in the heavens, guess what? It glorifies God because it performs the function for which it was designed. You and I were designed with the intent purpose to love and to seek God. So when we do that, guess what? We glorify God because we're fulfilling His purpose just like His creation. And God's creation is magnificent. And it's by design and it's purpose and it's purposeful. And nothing God did was by accident. But it was in His eternal wisdom that He set forth into motion this plan to redeem mankind. And you and I have a part to play in that. You think about, as we think about things that would prove the validity of the Bible or prove that God exists, and it doesn't take long to examine our universe and say, there has to be a higher power. There has to be a God. You think about the distance that the earth is from the sun, that we're just far enough away that we don't burn up and die and are ultimately destroyed, yet we're not too far away that we would freeze to a point where this earth could not support life. Do you think that happened by accident? No, this earth is performing the perfect function for which it was designed. And this earth now is not designed to last forever because of sin. And as God destroyed it the first time with the waters of the flood of Noah's day, He made a promise that He would never destroy it with water again, but there would be another destruction that's spoken of in 2 Peter chapter 3, that it would be by fire. And one day, this world will have fulfilled its purpose, fulfilled the necessity of the work that it needed to provide to support life and to give us opportunity to know and proclaim God. And one day, it will no longer be needed and it will be burned up and destroyed. But until then, it will glorify God by performing the function for which it was designed. You and I can learn from that. That is, we're created by that same magnificent creator you and I have a function to perform. And we ought to be mindful of our service to God. God is also glorified in His church among His people. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So as we serve our Creator through Jesus Christ and His blood in His church that He's the head of, that we're a part of, making up collectively the body of Christ, the church glorifies Him. As long as that church is performing the function for which it was created. Why was the church created? It was created to have a community of individuals that would come together with a like mind and a like purpose through their collective obedience to the same glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be able to share a common bond in this lifetime that connects us and gives us relationships that sustain us. 
And most importantly, it provides us access to God, our Creator, through our mediator, Jesus Christ. And every time we come together, we ought to have the intent purpose to bring glory and honor to the name of our God. And in His church, He is glorified. When is God glorified? 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 says that God is glorified when His Word is preached or when His Word is taught. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why is God glorified when His Word is preached? Well, we talked about last night, there has to be some knowledge of the Word of God before someone can become a child of God. And that knowledge can only be given to someone if His Word is taught and preached. So anytime someone sits down and opens up the inspired Word of God, whether it's in a public assembly and someone speaking to an audience such as we have tonight, or someone sitting down at their dining room table with an individual and opening up the Word and studying, or whether we're reading it to our children or we're studying it on our own, God's Word is being taught, and in that, God is being glorified. Because through knowledge and understanding of what God's will is, man can then perform the function for which he was designed. And when the Word of God is taught, we need to recognize that that is bringing glory and honor to Him because it's planting seeds that will change the lives of the individuals who receive it. Do you believe in the power of the Word of God? I do. Because I've seen it change people's lives. I've seen it change the abusive father into one who truly loves his children and cherishes those relationships. I've seen it change the life of someone who was addicted to drugs to someone who hungered and thirsted after righteousness. I've seen it take the selfish individual who only sought what they wanted out of life and they became a serving disciple of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't happen if the Word of God is not taught. And we glorify Him when we teach His Word to others. God is also glorified when His people worship Him. Turn to the 22nd Psalm. Psalm 22 is often referred to as a Psalm of the Cross. And we're not going to read this entire Psalm, but I want to read just a few verses to bring to your mind some statements that probably sound very familiar to you as you study the New Testament. Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered, they trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing that he delighted in him. 
You see, does anything in those first seven or eight verses of that psalm sound familiar to you as you examine the life and the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ? It should. Because as Jesus is hanging there on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, guess what's being fulfilled? What was penned by the psalmist there in Psalm 22? And notice the words of Matthew as he records. The crowd that had gathered there at the cross that day were making proclamations toward Jesus, and one of those was that he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour into the ninth hour there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Why did Jesus make that particular statement at that particular time? Was Jesus forsaken on the cross? I believe he was. He was becoming our sin. And therefore he had lost a holy and right relationship with his father as the father had to proverbially turn his back on him and forsake him on that cross. But, you know, I think this statement is far more significant than just a coincidence of the forsaken feelings that Jesus may have been experiencing. I believe this is a great proclamation by Jesus that he is fulfilling exactly what the 22nd Psalm was all about. Because those Jews that were gathered that day peering up at this man dying on the cross who had proclaimed to be the Son of God, when he makes that statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If they had studied the law and the prophets at all, their minds would have immediately been drawn to that 22nd Psalm that was all about who? It was all about him. It wasn't just because he felt forsaken and was in some type of emotional distress that he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He made a proclamation by that statement that he was the fulfillment of all prophecy. That he was the dying lamb and savior that could redeem mankind and they needed to recognize that as they watched him die. It's hard for us to see God glorified in such a distressing scene. But he was. Because the plan before the foundation of the world was for Jesus Christ to reconcile mankind back to God. And God's plan was being fulfilled. With that, if you continue there in the 22nd Psalm, and we look at verses 21 through 28, notice the words of the psalmist. He says, Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him. All ye the seed of Israel. For He hath not despised nor abhorred nor the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath He hid His face from Him. But when He cried unto Him, He heard. 
My praise shall be of thee, notice these words, in the great congregation I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied, they shall praise the Lord they, that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. Notice the language there in the 22nd Psalm in those verses, and then look at Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 11. As the writer of Hebrews says, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. As Jesus was fulfilling that 22nd Psalm, he also understood that by that death he would open up a kingdom that you and I are blessed to be a part of today, which is his church that does what? That worships and glorifies God when we sing, when we pray, when we serve, when we minister, when we teach. And all the while, we're one with the one who sanctified us. And Jesus is working with us in this mission to bring glory and honor to our Creator. You think your worship of God is important? How fervent would our worship be if Jesus was sitting in our midst today in a physical form? Would we sing a little louder? Would we focus a little more intently? We probably would, wouldn't we? And it's because of what he did that we have the blessing to praise and acknowledge and worship God. And he's glorified when we do so. God is glorified when his will is obeyed. John 15 and verse 7 says, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you, commit, con, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, Jesus said that his Father is glorified when his disciples bear much fruit. And as we obey the will of God, we are bringing forth fruit for the cause of Christ and causing God ultimately to be glorified. One of the reasons I think we fail to glorify God is because we really don't trust Him. Proverbs 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. How important is it for you to trust God tonight? How important is it for you to truly believe in who He is? See, because what we see is a pattern that develops in this life. That when we really believe the Word of God and what we can read and study and meditate upon pertaining to God and Jesus and us, when we really believe that, we have trust in Him. And when we have trust in Him, complete trust in Him, obedience is not a question, is it? You see, obedience is the natural outcropping from what? from belief and trust. And sometimes we don't obey the will of God because we really don't trust Him, which means we really don't believe in His promises and who He tells us He is. 
And that's sad, isn't it? You know, some people go about trying to be obedient to the will of God just to try to overcome their lack of faith and their lack of belief. And you can do that for a little while. But eventually, the root of your belief is going to come forth in your life. And what you believe in and what you really trust is what is going to show forth through your life and the decisions that you make. Tonight, who do you believe in? Who do you trust? I think an examination of the fruit of your life and the decisions you make will reveal that to you and I if we're honest about our evaluation of our life. I want to ask you a question tonight. Who's in you? Who is in you? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2 says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Tonight, do you believe that Jesus Christ can dwell in you? Do you believe that His Holy Spirit can come into your life through your obedience to His Word and help change you into what you need to become so that you might glorify and honor God and perform the function for which you were designed? Because that's what has to happen. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, on the day of Pentecost, as Peter preached that sermon, he made that proclamation to them. As they were standing there considering their plight and understanding the gravity of the situation they found themselves in, as they had murdered the Messiah, the one that had fulfilled all prophecy and was there to be their Savior and restore the nation of Israel, and they put Him on the cross and they murdered Him, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So it's through that obedience in baptism that we glorify God. And in our glorifying of God, He sees an individual who's willing to fulfill His purpose and function for which He was designed. And then God allows us to have His Spirit that helps us continually work toward our end goal. Because I don't know about you, but even after I was baptized, my life as I examined it and looked at it, was full of choices and decisions that I had made. And each of our lives can be represented by this. This vessel is our life and these balls represent decisions and choices that we've made. Some of those decisions we might look at and examine and say that was a good choice or a good decision, but if we're honest, some of them would be quite bad. That you would probably be ashamed to share with this audience this evening the things that you've thought, the things that you've said, and the things that you've done. And those things are sin. And before we knew the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ that we could access through our faith to that gospel and baptism, our life in the sight of God was a life that was filled with sin. 
And every decision we make collectively comprises this life that represents you and I. And these sins begin to define us and who we are in relation to God. But at some point, we have the opportunity to have an introduction to Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to have our life redefined by God. As I know the night that I went and I was baptized into Christ, I knew as far as God was concerned, my sins were forgiven. I was clean. I was pure. I was white as I would ever be in my life. And I had ever been in my life. But you know, the next morning I woke up and the first thing I did was I prayed to God. And I told Him, God, I'm not going to do this thing that I've been doing. Because I know it's wrong and it violates your will and it does not glorify you. And I'm going to not do that today. And guess what happened four hours later? I did the very thing that I had just promised God I wasn't going to do again. And then as I looked at my life, I said, I know God has forgiven me, but when I look at my life, I still see that old man. In my mind, I know I've been forgiven. I know I've been cleansed, but I'm not there yet as far as my lifestyle is concerned. I want to and I want to try, but it got frustrating. Because as I looked at myself in the mirror, I said, Chase, you're the same person the things that defined you before you became a Christian are still the things that define you. And I became frustrated in my faith and got to a point to where I almost wanted to quit. Because I said, I can't do this. I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough. But I had a brother in Christ that I talked to about that, and he said, you know what you got to do? Just got to keep going. He said, are you reading your Bible? I said, I'm reading every day. Are you praying? I'm praying every day. He said, you're going to church? I'm going to church every time the doors are open. I said, I just don't feel the difference. And he said something to me that was very profound. He said, you need to quit worrying about your feelings and start focusing on your faith. Because sometimes we not, may not feel God moving in our life. God never promised to give us good feelings. He promised to give us eternal life if we had faith in Him. And that faith comes from what? It comes from knowledge, understanding, and wisdom concerning the things of God. So guess what I started doing? I stayed diligent. And I would read my Bible every day. And I would study and I would pray to God. And I would fellowship with other Christian people. And I would go to church and worship Him. And I would sing with all my heart. And I would praise Him the way that He told me to. And I felt like I was pouring God into my life. But then as I looked at my life, guess what I saw? I still saw the same person. I was doing all these things, but I didn't see the difference. And a lot of times, that's what happens when people come to Christ. They expect all this old life to just go away and there not be any lasting consequences to a life of sin. 
You see, we may still have to suffer from the consequences of our past decisions, even though the God and Creator in heaven looks at us and says we've been forgiven. So you know what we have to do? We have to stay the course. Because what happens is people start pouring God in their life, they get to this point where they don't feel any different, and guess what? I can't do this, and they quit. And what we fail to realize is if we will just in patient continuance continue to do the things day after day that glorify God, eventually there will be a little bit of movement of these sins that had once defined who we were. We may, we've quit participating in these things, but we still feel the guilt and shame regarding those things. And I've worked and studied with a lot of people that I've seen their life begin to change, and they start making good choices and good decisions, but they come to you saying, I just don't feel like anything good is happening, and I want to tell them, just keep going. <laughs> just keep working. Just keep walking in the light. Just keep doing all the things that you're doing because it's going to come. And you can see them at the point of having a real breakthrough to where everything in their life could change. And you know they're standing right at that edge where all those things are about to break open in their life and all those blessings are about to come. And guess what they do? They quit. Because what happens if we just keep going? We keep pouring God into our life. All these things that once defined us, God replaces them and removes them and helps us to get them out of our life. You know, when you have a child, our baby girl is two years old. I've seen her at least the first six months of her life, I saw her every day. And I would hold her and I would play with her and sing to her and put her to sleep and take her to mom and do all the things that a dad ought to do. And you know what? I'd look at her every day and I'd say, I just don't see any difference. But there came a time where I went about six weeks <laughs> without really spending much time around her and seeing her. And I want to tell you, there was a tremendous change. See, sometimes we don't see the change in us because we're too close. It may be apparent to other people, and certainly it's apparent to God, but sometimes we don't see the change that's really taking place because we're looking at it through our own eyes. But as you examine your life and your walk with Christ, do you see the change two years later? Do you see the change five years later, ten years later? You should. But you might not see it every single day. But eventually, all those things that once defined you, God will replace with Himself. And then as I look at my life, you know what? It's not the sins of my past and the shame and the guilt that I had from those things that define me. It's God and His Word and my relationship with Him that is most important. And you might look at this illustration and say, well, that's great, but you know what? It doesn't really work because there's still one ball there. Would you believe me if I told you that was by design? Because how many of you have reached that point? To where there's no struggle, there's no sin, 
and you are utterly perfect in your walk in glorifying God. If you're there, then after services, you need to teach all of us how to do that. Because you know where I'm at? There's still struggles. Now, the struggles and the sin that I have to fight against every day today, it's not the same sin that I had when I was 19 years old and obeyed the gospel. But you know, Satan is our adversary. <laughs> and he doesn't give up. And he's not going to waste a lot of time on the world keeping them ensnared. Because guess who he's going to go after? He's going to go after those who have been purified by the blood of Jesus Christ to try to snatch them away, to steal their joy, to take away the life that Jesus wants to give to us. And if our expectation is this perfection, we're going to get frustrated because guess what? We can never get there in the flesh. If we could, we would have no need for Jesus Christ to continually be with us. That doesn't mean we don't strive for that and we don't set the expectation for our life at that standard. But you need to understand, you're going to struggle with sin. And all the while, you can still glorify God. Because if I asked you tonight, what defines this individual? Would you say the sin that sits on the surface defines them? Or would you say what the vessel is filled with to the top defines them? And sin gets a lot easier to deal with when our life is filled with God because as soon as it hits the surface, we recognize it and we can do something about it. Because how much displacement of God would have to take place for this sin to come back in and truly take root in somebody's life? There would have to be a lot of God to be displaced for that sin to take over again. But then all we have to do is continue to fill our life with Him. And all these things can go away. Tonight, God's going to be glorified. Don't think you have to be perfect to glorify God. Because if the standard was truly perfection, none of us would need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And we can't be justified by our own life. For we all need the grace and mercy of God. As Jesus was entering into the city, the last time, His disciples were singing and praising Him. The authorities and those rulers came to Him and said, You need to tell your disciples to be quiet. What did Jesus say? He said, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. One way or another tonight, Jesus is going to be glorified. If all of us kept silent and we did not perform the function for which we were created, the earth, the moon, the stars, the sun... The rocks themselves will bring glory and honor to their Creator. And God says He wants you to glorify Him. Tonight, 
what would glorify God more than anything is for you to fulfill the purpose and will for which you were created. As God formed you from the beginning of your life, His purpose was to have a relationship with you. And that through that relationship, you would come to know Him, that you would come to love Him and understand Him, and you would seek nothing but to glorify Him with every decision that you make. And tonight, if you would submit to Him in baptism, He will redefine you. He will create in you a clean heart. He will wash your sins away, and with that, He will give you a new purpose and with that purpose, He'll give you a responsibility to glorify Him. Don't keep trying to fight this battle of sin on your own. Because you'll lose. Every time. But if you'll bring those sins to Jesus, He'll forgive and He'll restore if you'll be obedient to Him. Maybe you're here tonight and you've obeyed that gospel, you've been baptized, you've received His Holy Spirit, but you know your life has began to be filled with sin. And those things are creeping back down into your heart and displacing the God that you have faithfully served. And they're beginning to take root and cause you to turn away from your Lord. Tonight, you have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ the righteous, that through prayer you can be forgiven. You don't have to be baptized again. For the blood has already cleansed and washed. All you need is restoration through prayer. And God seeks to give that to you tonight. If we can help you glorify God tonight by your obedience to His will, God will perform the hard work. All He needs to see from you is a broken and contrite heart seeking to glorify Him. And Jesus will do the rest. If we can help you tonight... Please come, have a seat on the front, while together we stand and sing.